if you don't fast forward Russell Crowe singing at the top of that dam, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> You're not a human being. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSense, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSense, Jeremy Scott. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like when I do stupid shit, you give me that look, and then when I just do like a hello, you give me that look. So now, next time, I'm not going to say anything. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, I just think there. It's like... <laughs> Episode 350. It's like, hey, Jeremy Scott's here, yo. And then Barrett's here, yo. That's all it is. That's all it is anymore. Mm-hmm. For music video since Barrett Share. Bonjour. Yeah. Oh. Ah, we were talking French. Comment allez-vous? Hey, oh, comment allez-vous? Yeah. C'est bien. <laughs> yeah, ça va. Ah, ça va. Bien, ah, bien, ah, bien. Ah, oui. Ah, okay. Me gusta jugar baseball. <laughs> what? Me gusta jugar al baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Any of you guys pissed off about anything? I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! Yes. Can I ask you guys a question to start this off? Pissed off. Mm-hmm. This came up in last week's episode, and I've been kind of obsessing over it. Mm-hmm. Far From Home, Spider-Man Far From Home, yep. has now, I think about a week ago or so, has re-released itself. Yes. Right as Became it was sentient. Ending. Yes. <laughs> Right as it was ending its its theatrical run, extended that theatrical run by, quote, re-releasing itself with, I think, just one more scene mm-hmm. of action, an action scene, quote unquote, right. uh, of footage. And that is the justification to why it's still in theaters now. Mm-hmm. Before this, as, as a very blatant ploy to get to the number one uh, box office of all time, Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. released a second run right as their theatrical uh, run was coming to an end that had a post credit scene yeah. or it had extra footage in it somewhere. Okay. Like you need extra footage in that fucking movie. Right. Extending its run, I think, by three or four weeks and thereby assuring that it got the number one spot. Mm-hmm. My question is, A, is this just Marvel? And B, do you see it working? Well, Deadpool did it with a PG-13 rated recut. That's kind of a different situation, though, isn't it? Feels the same to me. Feels like we changed the movie a little bit. Give us your money again. But also, Avatar also had a re-release after its initial run. Um, was it was it around the Oscars? Now the Oscars is a different story. Like Oscar re-releases happen mm-hmm. fairly regularly, right? Mm-hmm. But not with the blockbusters. Yeah. Uh, but what are we what are we getting at? Whether it works or not, or whether it's it's uh, annoying. Some sort of uh, if they were to break some records, would it not count? Well, I'll get to that one in the second question. The, the, I've got lots of opinions. I would love to hear them because first off, will it work? And second, if if the jury's still out, will people continue or will studios continue to do it in hopes that th- that it will? Because it it if it didn't work, it obviously helped for Endgame to to push them over that last hill. It may have gotten there regardless. I don't think it would have gotten there regardless. Yeah, it hasn't. Like it's not number one domestically anyway. I oh, don't I'm know talking worldwide. Worldwide, yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't really care one way or another. I don't know if there is, um, 
I don't know if they're getting a lot of money from this. Maybe it's just enough to make it worthwhile. I don't know. Mm. I have no idea. I actually haven't even looked into this. But uh, as far as records are concerned and everything, know that all of your movies that have had huge success over the years had many re-releases over the years. Gone with the Wind, Star Wars, all these had multiple re-releases do those and go into the total box office yes. when you look it up on box office mojo yes. yes i know it does break it down by release i think mm-hmm. but when you see up in the top box that's the whole sum of all the releases yeah right? in yeah. fact in fact you can look at i think titanic now because titanic's had a couple of re-releases and it's it's box office is more than it was when it when it left off in 97 well mm-hmm. 98 um so so like it's it's more than it was because they had the 3d re-release that came out um i figure if i figure this if uh theaters are not getting screwed by playing it the extra extra time they're getting some extra money from people who really do care about that type of stuff there's no harm in it Hmm. there's there's going to be there's going to be movies that come out in the wake of this that are going to come and go and they don't they don't have any reason to be in theaters because they suck. Mm-hmm. Why not put something like Endgame in there with some extra scenes for the people who really, really, really care about that stuff? Um, yeah, it's a cash grab, but I can't I can't be upset at that unless something due to their actions is causing some other problem that we're not seeing. Yeah, I was actually looking at it as the reverse of it. Say you've got like a uh, Juno person, Hildy, Tildy, Tully. Say you've got a Tully mm-hmm. that's coming out. That's a good movie, but really can't find a whole lot of screens. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that that may be a bad example, but something around that level mm-hmm. that is having trouble getting into theaters because Endgame wants another three or some behemoth wants another three to four week run, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Now, there very well could be something like that happening, but I'm assuming that what's happening is a movie that's not doing well anyway is losing showtimes mm. more than something that's trying to get in couldn't get in right that's what i think was is probably happening i doubt that there's movies that theaters have already agreed that they're going to play mm. that didn't get in because endgame wants three more weeks i got you i got you what do you think does it annoy you you said it annoyed you last time it's it's kind of annoying yeah it's i mean it's really not it's really not any different than what they've been doing to us since the dawn of home video where we'll get a movie comes out of theaters then you get a standard DVD or Blu-ray release maybe a couple bonus features then you get a 10th anniversary release that has an hour of extra footage and a 4-hour documentary behind the scenes <laughs> then you get the Criterion Steelbook gold-plated dick edition <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and comes with its own dick if yeah. you love the movie you get them all um and I'm okay with that. This is it's annoying to me because it feels cheap. It feels mm. like a cheap cash grab. Um, you dangled a scene. You dangled the scene in Spider-Man: Far From Home in the trailer. Mm. Then you cut it from the film. And so I almost feel like you kind of cheated a little bit there. Maybe you knew you were going to do this. I don't know. I also have a weird conspiracy theory about this. Oh yeah, one of Tom Holland's real life best friends is in Spider-Man Far From Home only in this deleted scene that they've added back for the re-release. Mm. So my conspiracy theory is that Tom Holland asked for a favor. Hey, my buddy got his big break being in this movie and you cut him out of it, even though that scene was in the trailer. Jake Gyllenhaal? <laughs> <laughs> he finally made it in. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. You know, I, I do understand something like a 20th anniversary or 40th anniversary in the case of uh, Apocalypse Now or mm-hmm. something like that. That coming out or a special edition, like when the special editions of Star Wars came out. That, that makes sense. What I, what I find just extra annoying is these coming at the tail end of we're about to go to digital. Oh, but by the way, you can come to the theater and spend four more weeks with this because we've got, you know, 30 seconds yeah, more it's footage. It's another layer of, I'm sure they make enough money to, to be worth it. Mm. Uh, and it's another layer of get that buy, right? Because that's the whole, that's the maddening digital window that I hate, but now it's also sucked me in because I wanted to see John Wick 3 so bad, I bought it on digital because I didn't <laughs> want to wait three more weeks to see it on Blu-ray. Uh, but I hate myself for that because I'm also going to buy it on Blu-ray when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just, yes, another layer, another place for them to take your money. Um, I think that the Endgame release was more shameless than the Far From Home because Far From Home is the least adding a scene to the to, to the movie yeah uh, whereas like endgame was like we'll give you an extra deleted scene yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. and they, they've done i mean companies have done this disney has done this before they did it with um i want to say it was bugs life um because toy story had the the outtakes at the end and everybody's like oh so funny <laughs> those outtakes and then bugs life i think came with no outtakes and um and about I don't know, three, four weeks into its run, Disney was like, take off real six of Bugs Life and put this new one on. It's really? got the outtakes on it. Yeah. And so that was how, that's how they, they, uh, I don't know how much that did for that movie either, <laughs> especially since I believe it was fairly early in its run. It wasn't like, you know, about to die or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, that it, I've, I've had to, I'd back, especially back in the day where like, uh, uh, we had to actually change reels out. I'd, I'd done that several times mm. before. That, so it's an older type of thing that happens occasionally. Interesting. Can I ask a sub-question then? Oh, oh yeah, hit us. Not to take over this whole section, but I'm very you interested You have taken in over this whole section. Dick. It's fascinating to me because every piece of marketing on a blockbuster or an impending blockbuster is about the box office. Mm-hmm. Rules of box, number one at the box office mm-hmm. for the first six weeks Broke box office records over the first weekend. Broke first week box offices. The holiday weekend. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, take a step back. You know, in the NFL, in football, I think they used to have 14 game se- seasons. Yeah, like in the 70s. In the 70s. And so all these historic Sid Luckman, Johnny Unitas, like all these historic uh, records, Jim Brown, stuff like that, were completed in a shorter season mm. now there's a 16 game season yeah, same thing with the the maris uh, breaking the record yeah exactly you've got yeah. you've got more games to try, get more stats to be the all-time leading whatever right and it makes sense in football i don't care i don't care in baseball you know you, you have to keep that into co- consideration what annoys me is the hard and fast like well you know sid luckman could never make it in today's nfl look at his numbers compared to you know andrew luck or whatever Sorry, too soon. Yeah. But uh, what I'm what I'm wondering about is movies. Yes, movies cost more. Inflation is there. But also, we're moving the goalpost a little bit to where we've got, we're counting Thursdays 
almost not the entire day, but the entire afternoon. Some of these are opening at like 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. And we're counting that into the weekend, the weekend box office. Yeah. And specifically, they count it for Friday's uh, release. Uh, for it gets Friday's, rolled into Friday. It goes into Friday's uh, box office. Oh, that's funny. So they don't even have it as a discrete like area that no, you, could, you could query. Yeah. You know? No, it's not. Um, yeah. This is one of those weird ones because. The question becomes, if you didn't have the Thursday shows, would the people who have seen it on Thursday have been spread out on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Right, right, right. Uh, Would people who... Would there be people who are pushed out that would normally watch it Friday, Saturday, Sunday that watch it some other time because these people who don't get to see it on Thursday are now spread out between Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Yeah, and you're also comparing it to those times where that was the only option i'll but, tell you what when i see any headlines about breaks record highest uh-huh. whatever of all whatever i just ignore it at this point yeah i mean i know it still gets clicks people still people still crow about it but no record is gonna last very long anymore right like yeah and so what's the fucking point i'm just curious about it because they're rightfully touting this, right? But they're using different But you also mechanisms. get what what's more annoying to me, other than just, yes, comparing apples to oranges, but is the really hyper-specific um, gloating. Like, it has the highest R-rated holiday weekend <laughs> opening in September on a Monday mm-hmm. with when it's raining outside exactly. of all yeah. time. There is a lot of those. And so those are way more wasteful of space and time. one family comedy of September. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and it is, it is all about what they can do with their advertising on the second week. Yeah, so that's that the they can thing, say right? that it's the you know everybody's seeing this. Why are you so stupid? You're not watching <laughs> it. Um, but uh, you know, uh, I don't know to whether it's a, a big ter- big deal that they do that. Um, I think it, it it is dishonest when they put the Thursday in there. But if they just left it alone and just opened it on Friday, and then went all the way to Sunday, I, I get the sense they'd make close to the same amount of money Mm -hmm. uh it's just that now you're spreading it out a little bit more and with so many screens these days Mm -hmm. everything's opening on four thousand screens like if you're at hollywood 27 and there's seven prints or something not likely to be sold out Mm -hmm. um uh it's if it is sold out you can you can typically find another theater within five miles that's playing it um or you can uh i mean there's so many different ways like it used to be i remember being a kid in the 80s man sometimes you'd be standing in line for a movie and it would just sell out you were you were done you you had to wait another day to watch that because your family wasn't going to hang out for three hours waiting for a new movie another Mm -hmm. showtime um (laughs) yeah the funny thing is is when i when i when it's comparing the tippy tippy top mm -hmm. where you're comparing Endgame to Force Awakens, which came out, you know, four years before that. When you're comparing it to Avatar, which came out ten years before, mm-hmm. it, a lot has changed in in those ten years. You know, you've got uh, Jurassic World, you got the event, the original Avengers, you know, things like that. Where you know, ten, twelve years, we're talking about modern era, so it's not like comparing Gone with the Wind or ET or something like that to a modern thing, where mm-hmm. you know there's more screens, you know there's more seats, you know ticket prices are higher. And by the way, this is just counting ticket prices, not tickets sold, right? Yeah. So, like, it, it's it's just disingenuous to me to 
it goes to my original point of like the end game cheating it to get to number one. How much does that really fucking mean? You know, when you're well, comparing it to Avatar, a movie that came out 10 years before. To average people, it means a lot. I mean, to people who don't know how box office works. I think yeah. the Half-Life, I mean, I'm misusing the, the actual scientific term of Half-Life. <laughs> I think it's going to go down, though. From Avatar to Endgame was what? 12 years? Uh, It'll be 10 years. 10. 10 years. So I think the next one that will be the number one of all time that will top Endgame will come in five years. And then the okay. next one after that will come in two and a half years. And then they're all just, it's, it's going to be month after month after month. <laughs> the highest we, since February. We, I don't know if, uh, how long ago it was, uh, we talked about box office this way, but, uh, remember Titanic was number one for a very long time. It was until Avatar came out and that was 12 years. That was, uh, so it was 12 years before anything even sniffed that 600 million mark that titanic and that's domestic mm. uh and and then it became a regular thing it mm -hmm. just became a regular everyday thing and i don't i don't know what the the difference is i think there's they've heightened that that um i don't know that the the comic book the comic book movies are just a different animal they've yeah. they've changed everything yep and then you throw in star wars where people were hungry for something that wasn't the see the prequels and everything and it looked like the original stuff you know it's something that people wanted to see and see mm -hmm. millions of times and everything yeah i mean it's a, it's a little bit different world that we live in it is no it just fascinates me the way the, the way that they're you know advertising this crowing about it and the way that people are internalizing it myself included honestly where it's like well you know we're finally going to beat avatar we're gonna get in the top 10 of all time domestic it's like it, it doesn't matter it by doesn't the way matter. i i'm not one of those uh I've, I've said this before i'm pretty sure on this podcast but i'm not one of those inflation per people who go around saying well inflation inflation gone with the wind would have had over a billion dollars if we no it wouldn't have mm. sorry it gone with the wind 1939 if you're charging the same ticket price back then you are not getting 1.2 billion or whatever it is for inflation, and you're basing this because of avail availability of the product, right? Mostly as far well, as how many of fucking theaters, citizens in the country, yeah. right? How many butts there are to sit in seats? How many seats there are in the theater? I'm, I'm saying all are. things being equal here, like 1939. Uh, you know, nobody's paying a 15 dollar ticket in 1939, <laughs> and that's a it, year salary. Yeah, they're they're yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, Plus, there are so many more distractions. A year salary. <laughs> um, there are so many more distractions and more divi dividing of your attention now. Gone with the Wind, that was the only thing to do, I guess, back mm. then, was to go watch that movie. And fuck. And fuck. And play um, um, Stick Round. <laughs> <laughs> stick Round. Stick Round. You got a round, round oval tire like oh yeah 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 basket thing you're like, you, you're you're like you spin the tire <laughs> with a stick you run down the street with a stick uh, stick round so there was that and fucking and fucking uh, uh, but you know I I I get really annoyed when somebody's like Gone with the Wind would have done this much or whatever like sorry no it wouldn't and and then let's say let's say there was no Gone with the Wind back in 1939 and it finally. Someone made a movie this year, same movie, 
and everything and plopped it in the theaters do you think that's making 1.2 billion no garen god damn t it's not <laughs> lucky to make a million yeah so i i, I get really i get exhausted of those uh, inflation arguments because the world we live in is completely different mm-hmm. from back when now if they released gone with the wind today but gave it a more modern title something like pretty dresses yes <laughs> i think it could have a chance and put maybe Ka- you would watch it i put Catherine heigl in it <laughs> <laughs> so my point is that it's 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 ridiculous to compare apples to apples anymore i think even within you know it a decade to, to decade it has to be i think within five years yeah. and then and then yeah once you get past that then you have to start thinking of yeah ticket prices are a little bit more but they're never going to show you how many i mean you can average it out and figure mm-hmm. out i guess there's some uh, <laughs> you have all these excel spreadsheets <laughs> I, I guess that there are actual tracking services that that figure out the actual ticket sold mm. and everything uh that i don't know how accurate those are um inter- I, it would be interesting but to it would see. be nice to know like yeah. the actual number of tickets sold yeah. and, and know what movie really has the you know the hmm. the four one one well, i don't know <laughs> well i'm just wondering i i, you know, I don't think uh rise of skywalker is probably going to come anywhere near like a an avengers movie or anything like that it might it depends a lot of times is how how a movie is um positioned uh both force awakens and titanic were came out in that december period on the it was basically the same day uh if you were to if you were to look at the calendars Mm -hmm. and the amount of time they had left after the holidays and the competition they had into january uh you look at titanic and it's like oh it made 20 it just kept making 20 million 20 million 20 million force awakens there wasn't anything there wasn't anything competing against it mm-hmm. um and and it just like every day it was making 50 million dollars or something it was crazy and it had that time that people were you know in the holidays they had that time they had an extra week than normal like if you if you came out with a movie on december 17th in one other year it wouldn't you wouldn't have that much time because school would start earlier mm-hmm. or whatever like it depends on when the monday falls and uh that one had like almost three weeks of like people being home and nothing else to watch yeah yeah so hopefully i'm I'm just saying i'm looking forward to the time where skywalker is like is it gonna be in game or something like that you know yeah i'm yeah. sure it'll do some some craziness at, on opening weekend that'll be in you know and well can it can it sustain that that amount i don't know how it's positioned yet i don't know what the day the actual day is in relation this year though it's going to have jumanji running up against it oh which yeah is what la- which is what last jedi had running up against. well it's also going to need not that a, a shitty movie and a divisive movie can make a lot of money but what endgame had that was unique was that almost everybody came out of it saying they stuck the landing mm-hmm. and so rise of the skywalker is going to have to stick the landing it for will. majority of fans to run that long and that high box and office. we slightly alluded to it uh, last week but last jedi uh you know had left a lot of, of uh, money on the table but also left a lot of sour uh tastes uh with some people and and it's uh and it's an underrated thing about what happens to the next movie after that uh, if you even look at stuff like Batman Begins, which came out and it was a completely new Batman, but I had even people at my theater who were like, oh, it's still part of that other four that yeah, came out yeah, in the yeah. 90s. And so 
you still had people thinking, oh, well, I don't want to watch because Batman and Robin was sucky. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I don't want to watch Batman Begins, even though it's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know how you can't just see that it's different, <laughs> but the that Batman Begins it came out and it was and it did well, but it a lot of people were like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I, you know, if, if that's worth watching, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, it only made two hundred and something million domestic. <laughs> anyway, thank you for answering my questions because mm-hmm. I was thinking about this too much. Of course, half the podcast time is gone now. Yeah, but sorry about that. As long as you're getting your answers, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris, you got a rant? I don't. Go ahead. Uh this fucking Hershey's commercial, okay, drives me crazy. Uh, where they drive this truck into this neighborhood. And everybody comes running out of their homes, kids, teens, adults, because that's what you do when a random truck drives through your street, <laughs> right? And then the sides open, and there's a fucking fire all the way across the middle of it, and they start giving out graham crackers, Hershey bars, and marshmallows, and everybody starts eating and sharing s'mores while you're here. Give a little bit, oh, yeah. give a little bit. <laughs> I fucking hate this commercial, because first of all, nobody comes running out of their house when a truck drives up. Second of all, that is a that is a fire. <laughs> you are driving a fire into a residential neighborhood with children. Third of all, why are all these people home? Why are all these people home? It would, it's got to be either a weekend. It's broad daylight. Yeah, it's got to either yeah. be a weekend. Basically has to be because parents and, and kids are all here. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't even be the summer because parents should be at their job. Everybody's home. <laughs> Who eats s'mores at three in the afternoon? Mm-hmm. Sticking their hands in. Yeah. Five. Not to mention s'mores always ends in failure. Like sticky, messy, yuck. <laughs> Who wants that shit? Not a whole goddamn neighborhood. You drive a truck down to my street and you open it up, it's got fire inside. You're going to have a lot more happen than just people enjoy some s'mores. You're asking for like a ass kicking. This commercial is the most nonsensical. This is why I want to do commercial sins is because oh, yeah. commercials like this yep. where nothing you see makes any sense. They want to give you the impression of joy and sharing underneath their product. But the setup is fucking ludicrous. <laughs> I haven't even seen this, but I'm just imagining a fire van. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've seen it. I know I've seen a commercial where people are running after an ice cream truck, but I've tuned it out That's every time. That's not this. This is more like a semi, but it's skinny. And then the sides <laughs> open up, and there's fire from front to back, like a line of 25 feet of fire, and then fake grass next to it, like oh. I used to have on my front porch in the 80s. <laughs> fake grass. That's fire! You're, that's fire! It's not safe. Kids are climbing up on that shit. God damn. That's one of the most annoying commercials I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's, wow. That is my rant. Mm-hmm. I want to see that now. It's going to be years before I eat another s'mores just because of that commercial. So you're not high on s'mores like the actual s'mores. I'm not high on any food that is a lot of work and makes me messy for two bites of yummy. It's an mm-hmm. That's why I don't eat fucking ribs. Oh. Mm. Oh. Jeremy. I'm sorry. Come too much on. work, too many napkins for like three bites of tender beef that I can get about six different ways. You're talking about making ribs. I'm talking about eating ribs. How is that a lot of work for eating ribs? When they serve it to me as yeah. a rack right. and I have to pull it apart, there's a reason they give you wet naps when you go eat that kind of shit because you get all over your fucking fingers and face. You can eat like a civilized person. You can you can fork that stuff though, right? If it's good. <laughs> yeah, if it's tender. If it's good, you can fork it. It's too messy. It's too much work. Do you eat your, I don't eat lobster. Do you eat your candy bars with a knife and fork? I eat my pizza with a knife and fork. I'm not ashamed to say it. Wow. I don't end up with pizza all over my face wow. like everybody else does when they pick it up and just shove that shit towards the hole. <laughs> the hole. 
I've never been I've never been much into s'mores because it's just usually you're having them when you're out in the woods mm-hmm. camping, yeah. not near running water. Mm-hmm. And then you can't eat. It's impossible to eat a s'more without getting sticky somewhere. That is true. And that then true. I'm just left with, well, I've just got to deal with this. I'm just going to be sticky. This is my life now. What is the? Uh, so you're not a subscriber to the take life and bite it and let the juice drool down your chin. I feel like you're twisting my statement. To I like the juice. I like to bite life. You like the juice, huh? I like life's juice. The juice I is like good. To, I like it running down my face. Uh, anyway, what life wants to give me its juice, I will take it. I'm just saying I don't like sticky eating situations. There's a number of foods I don't like to eat because it's messy, and I don't like messy. What do you stand with ri- uh, with wings, chicken wings? I don't eat them. Don't do it. That's a hell of a lot of work. Yeah, you can't you can't use a knife and fork on that no, shit. No, and you're gonna get messy. And uh-huh. I can you know what? I can get flavored chicken about a dozen other ways. Okay, even dark meat. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. So you know, give me a give me a fried chicken leg. That's See, not anywhere near as messy. I had no idea this part of you. Well, now you're learning. <laughs> don't give me ribs. Don't don't ever get to a restaurant before me and order ribs for me. <laughs> what if they're dry rub? I don't know what that even means. It's uh, they're not saucy. They're not sticky. So I'd rather get like salty all over my face than saucy. <laughs> what the, how are you eating? I'm not saying like put your whole mouth into okay, the Okay, I've rib. seen people eat ribs. They tear one off, they bring it up to their mouth, and they corn on the cob that bitch, and then their face is all red like a clown. If I've been to famous days, I know what we're talking if, about here. If correct me if I'm wrong, if ribs are good, you can just fork the the meat off and just eat it with a fork. Correct. Yeah. Yes. I if mean, it's not, then you've probably got bad ribs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the technically the perfect doneness is where. You take a bite of rib and you can see your teeth mark and you can see the bone. Mm-hmm. Not that it all falls off. But if you cook a certain style of rib, it will just fall off and you can knife and fork it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're hating at the wrong rib place. Again, I could, well, I can get shredded beef a number of ways. I don't, I don't have to do the shredding myself. This is so, this is spectacular. I don't like, I don't like fucking um, uh, fondue either because I don't want to do all the work. And I don't want to, I don't want to do two and a half minutes of work for, for every fucking bite. Mm-hmm. I paid $40 once for my wife and I to share fondue. It took us like two hours to eat that meal. You take a bite of beef, you stick it in there, and you start the timer. God, I hope it's done soon. I'm hungry. Well, that was a good, that was a tasty bit of beef. Guess I'll, <laughs> guess I'll cook another one for two and a half more minutes. <laughs> I, this, I think, I think, so. Uh, last week on Discord, uh, we got the old uh, Abe Simpson uh, newspaper man that yells at cloud <laughs> thing, and I think this is the most man yells at cloud stuff that I've ever heard on this podcast. Uh, I don't care. I'm all right with it. Bring oh, it on. It's oh, a, oh, we know. It's a personal choice. We I know you long don't. Ago. We know you don't. That's fine. I just don't uh, eat some things. Uh, messy. Eat with your hands, man. Eat with the no. Feel like a caveman. Eat with the fork and knife. To, gonna have to make you know like eating gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, guys. Let me bring out my eating gloves. Yeah. This is like you know that. Like, if yeah. I, if I if I am given a bib with my food, that's probably too messy for oh, me. Oh, crab, lobster. 
I just everything see, did you not hear bib. me earlier when I said I don't eat lobster? Everything with the bib. I eat crab. Screams. I'll eat a crab cake. Fuck yeah. You cra- you break that crab apart, pull out the meat, and turn it into something. I'm not going to do all that work. Makes the all work you did all was boil worthwhile. It. God damn it. All you did was boil it. In seasoning. Uh, not the lobster. <laughs> and then you sprinkle shit on there. No. You lived in fucking Maryland. If you don't douse that, douse that shit in butter, lobster's terrible. And then you go, oh, what? Huh? <laughs> <sighs> it's just chewy that's oh, all it is it's chewy flavorless gunk unless you unless you salt and butter that shit and then it's awesome look at this guys i can see the part where barrett's heart rips it <laughs> i don't even know you anymore <laughs> get your hands dirty it's all right let's it. stop talking about food um does anybody have stuff they want to recommend or warn totes amaze balls they're great it won the academy award oh for what for best movie ever made I want to recommend. Okay. One cut of the dead. All right. Okay. One cut of the dead. Okay. Now, this is a movie I only ever heard of because of Patrick and Luke from Modern Horrors talking about it on Twitter. Okay. To the point where there was a while where if, if anyone in the whole universe mentioned the movie, somehow Patrick would find them and slide up under there and say hey, how awesome <laughs> this movie is. <laughs> so I bought it. At the time I bought it, I, you had to buy it from their website. Okay. You can now, as of like a week ago, I think, you can buy it like on Amazon and stores and whatnot. Now, <clears throat> I bought it four months ago, long after seeing them rave about it. And I only watched it yesterday because I only, ha- I only had one movie for recommends and warrants. I wanted to add another one to it. And I intentionally sat down and decided to watch this movie. Now, the problem, the reason I didn't watch it for five months, four months after I bought it, is that the way these guys sold the movie to me was to say as little as possible. Yeah. To say, you won't see what's coming. It's awesome. And that, honestly, wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like those guys. It can, it can be tantalizing or it can be just like, eh. What, what I need to do is, 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 you guys need to watch this movie. Um, I've never been as sure of a recommend, specifically to Barrett and Chris, as I since maybe Locke. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like Locke. Mm-hmm. This is a Japanese film they made for $25,000. Mm-hmm. Um, it plays with the ideas of zombie movies. Mm. It's ultimately three mini movies back to back to back. Okay. It made me think of Living in Oblivion. It made me think of Jackie Chan. Mm. It made me think of... The Simon Pegg zombie movie. It made me think of... Uh, Rashomon? Hmm. This movie rolls credits twice by the 40-minute mark, and there's still half a movie left to go. <laughs> there was apparently at least one critic at a festival that got up and walked out when it started rolling credits after 37 minutes because he thought the film was over. And honestly, I think the film plays perfectly fine that way if you choose to watch it that way. Really? But it's not over. Okay. It's one of the bloodiest movies I've ever seen, and it's funny as shit. Huh. Let me ask you something, because this movie sounds familiar, and I may have seen it. Is this a thing where they're trying to make a movie, and shit is happening to them as they make the movie? Like, there's actual, like, killing going on while they're while they're filming? Because I, it reminds me of something else, then, if this isn't it. I mean, the answer to what you're saying, asking is yes, but no. Okay. There's some other movie that I saw that has almost, I'm, I'm looking, it's going to be hard for me to find it, but 
Um, but it's one of it's it had that kind of that if you wanted to call it a genre. I think in that one they're making a gangster movie, and while they're making it, like actual killings are happening, but the guy is shooting it all. Okay, and everything is that one cut? Uh, I don't think it's one cut, but like one. T- there was some European movie that was all one take. They did it like seven times, and finally the seventh one was the perfect one. Well, sounds- the one the one that you're talking about might be the one that I brought up that was on movie. That was the uh, yeah, it was because I know you talked about the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, I will also say. The first 30-some minutes of this movie, One Cut of the Dead, is all one take. Oh, really? Um, It's all one take, but they've disguised some edits. I really don't think they did. You don't think so? I really don't think they did. Okay. Maybe. It's it's certainly possible. There are a couple of times where they go behind a column or a pole or something while they're following somebody, but it's... You love this movie, is what you're saying. I fucking loved it. My wife came down to check on me. I was cackling so hard by the end of this movie. It just keeps surprising you. It's funny as shit. Even even when it's being bloody as hell. Um, Yeah, I want to do what I can to get more and more people to watch this thing. I brought the Blu-ray. One of you can watch it as soon as today. Not that you should, but you should. (laughs) Um. Uh, but yeah, it's fantastic. I regret having watched, waited so long to watch it. Uh, it. It is hard to sell it other than without without spoiling what makes it so great. Okay. Uh, because the surprises are what makes it so great. I am down with this. I think you're going to love the shit out of it. All right. The uh, the movie that the other movie that we were trying to think of was called Victoria, which has got uh, Laia Costa in it. It's a ah. German German film. And yeah, they shot that, I guess, seven, t- seven times. They got it on the seventh one. The one where she's in the subway or like running from the the people and all that stuff. Yeah, like she's some coffee shop uh, waitress, and she runs into these four guys, and uh, and she's new to Germany, and they're showing her around, and we find out sort of that yeah they've cut, probably committed some crimes and and things, but she's hanging out, she's having a good time, mm. and and uh, it just follows them around as they talk and everything. They go through like a. a uh, a club dancing and all that that's mm. that's all still in the same you know still one shot and everything and it comes back out and then then they have a discussion on a rooftop and then she needs to get back to the coffee shop because it's like uh morning or whatever and she needs to like go to sleep or and have a shift the next day so she's in the coffee shop and then she and one of the other gang the gangster guys but one of the other dudes like stays with her for a while they play piano all this stuff and he leaves and then he's like all right well we'll see you tomorrow or something like that and then as she's hanging out in the coffee shop they come back and they say oh we've got to we've got to uh we got to do some more we got to do some stuff or whatever and so it's like as soon as that happens it's like she gets somehow swallowed in into this whole thing. They get in a car. They drive to this place, and it's all dangerous and everything. Mm. And, and you know, people shooting at each other and all that. But um, yeah, I remember in Victoria, there, I was reading about it. There's a part where uh, the cameraman is like in the back seat of the car, and they and they and uh, and there's a point where she's driving but she's she's like driving the wrong way and they had to keep that in the movie so yeah. it was like he's like someone had to like tell her you'd go in the wrong way and then and then, and then so <laughs> so they said had to turn around because that could have like that was there they were like perfect to that point oh, you know, shit. and everything oh, but my god but yeah victoria is really good and we we mentioned that on a movie uh thing uh probably i don't know six seven months ago yeah there. can you re- what is this again one, one cut of the dead 
All like, right. I think it's playing on Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, yeah. but also the one-cut nature of that first section. Well, listen, you don't get this jazzed about recommends very often, so I'm I'm down. No, and you know how you know it's an obscure movie because I went on Twitter last night and raved about it, and I got like sixty likes. Like <laughs> it's not even on anybody's radar. Like I, I could have just said Endgame is awesome, and I would have gotten a thousand likes. But I said this movie is rad. Nobody cares. But maybe maybe the podcast ripple will right. force it out there into the consciousness. I'm over it. All right, you've seen Personal Shopper, right? I have twice. What's that movie's deal? Um, Jonathan loves it, and that's the only reason I watched it twice. Because uh, I wanted to see... I know you watched it once. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I wanted to see... Because the first time through, I wasn't... I didn't I didn't connect to that movie very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt... Maybe this is the point. It felt like two different movies. Like a casual mumblecore drama about a personal shopper, mm-hmm. and like a sci-fi haunted horror kind of dealie. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the point, is putting those two worlds together. I don't know. It felt like the bling ring with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the second version? The second viewing? I I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I, not much more. I guess I I found a little more respect for it. It's, I, it's unique. Yeah, huh? Yes. I, I I actually wrote this down as a recommend because right after I watched it, there's this great arresting shot of Kristen Stewart at the end. In fact, that last scene itself is is very engaging. Mm-hmm. Makes no fucking sense, mm-hmm. but it's very engaging. And I was like, I think I enjoyed that movie. You know, Kristen Stewart is this is one of her best performances. I think I agree. She's, she she commands very good acting in this movie. Very understated, but she commands every scene that she's in. She's in almost every scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I kept thinking it's the same thing I have with Lana Del Rey's music. Oh, what's her deal? Like, why is she covering that fucking already riffy <laughs> Sublime song? Yes. Yeah. What I is the deal know. with that? I don't know what her deal is. Yeah, that could be a whole other conversation, but. As good as this movie is, it's uh, Olivier Assayas, uh, which is a, a big movie favorite, actually. Um, and it's shot beautifully. Mm-hmm. There's beautiful people in it. Mm-hmm. There's beautiful acting in it. I actually love the effects. You've seen this, too, right? Yep. Uh, I love the effects, the the spiritual, ghosty effects and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I just cannot figure out what this movie's deal is. What is it trying to say? It's I understand that she's mourning the loss of her, her brother and everything. But every fucking time something unusual happens, she's like, Lewis? Yeah. Is that you? Phone. Phone opens. Lewis? <laughs> like, she gets a text. Lewis? She walks into a room. Something bangs. Lewis? She walks into another room. <laughs> Lewis? And then she fucking whacks off on the bed, and like then it goes like into a whole different direction. And it turns into like a real life like gangster type of mystery type of thing. I don't understand this movie, and I don't like that I don't understand this movie. I yeah. um, I saw this movie with Jonathan, and I saw this movie with Dave Irwin uh, at uh, Belcourt, and uh, I was the only one at the end of it going, what the fuck was that? Okay, okay, <laughs> and, thank you. And, and Jonathan liked it, and Dave Irwin really liked it, and, um, and so... I, you know, it's like it's one of those where I was like, I guess I'll have to get back to it. I don't know. Uh, but movies like that tend to make me not want to come back no, because I mean, 
because it's just i don't know I, I i will give it another shot because i i will i will watch it again but uh but a lot of times i'm like i, I feel like we just wasted our time and then there's like a a, a kind of cool thing at the end and you know well, there is a cool thing at the end and i'm not going to spoil it but it's a cool thing at the end that even in the context of the movie and i've done a lot of thinking about it did some reading about this movie even in the context of the movie, doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Does it make it sense to you, Jeremy? No. The the way it's presented, I understand that it may be more existential than we all thought about, but but practically, it doesn't make sense to mm-hmm. me. No. And if you're gonna have a resolution, I don't know. I far free be it for me to question a, a masterpiece director about their their vision for this movie. It just seems like there's either more nebulous ways to do it or more straightforward ways to do it without just being confusing for confusing sake. Mm-hmm. Um, something like First Reform has First Reformed has a very unusual ending, uh, open for interpretation, but you can understand it. Something like Annihilation has a very confusing and open to interpretation ending, but you can understand it. Mm-hmm. This to me, eh? I don't think so, mm-hmm. and and. It, and it honestly kind of had me up until that end. Anyway, Lewis, Lewis, and yeah, I know that at the end of this, some you know, we I'll go on Facebook and somebody will be a big, huge personal shopper fan, and they'll tell us to look at the movie this way and so on and so <laughs> His forth. It'll be Jonathan Jotkits. Yes, <laughs> yes, Jonathan. Uh, oh, have you been reading the Facebook comments too? <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, the uh, I mean, it's it's one of those movies that I just didn't get the first time, and I just haven't had time to go back and yeah, check yeah. it out again. I mean, I do enjoy the fact that there are movies out there, uh, especially easily accessible, that you can have these conversations about. Maybe I'm cer- I'm certainly missing something that other people who enjoyed it uh, got. But it's not like I just watched this like while drunk at you know three a.m. or something like that. I was thinking about it. I was engaged with it. Yeah. I just it, it, I, what's the deal with that movie? Yeah. What is the deal? Uh, by the way, the movie that I was trying to come up with, but. By- it was hard. It was hard to find this because mm. you, it was. It's a Japanese movie about a guy who makes a movie that where there's real shit happening huh. and everything. So like you tr- try to Google that <laughs> Japanese movie where guy makes a movie, <laughs> yeah, whatever. But I finally like uh, was able to do some serious uh, Google Mojo and I found it. It's called Why Don't You Play in Hell? Is what nice. it's called. Oh, I've heard of that. Um, and I saw this at the Bell Court uh, way back in the, the day, but. Um, it's a, a renegade film crew becomes embroiled with a Yakuza clan feud. Nice. Uh-huh. I had an old Sunday school teacher that used to say that to me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. don't you play in hell? Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, obviously, there's a and uh, there's an original title that I am not going to try to pronounce. <laughs> well, there you same go. With my, I like. Yeah. I love. I was watching Easy A the other day, and that that scene with Fred Armisen as the priest. Oh, she's yeah. like. You know, if there's a hell, he's like, oh, there's a hell. <laughs> and she's like, well, you know, okay, you believe that. No, there's a hell. It's it's underneath us right now. <laughs> it's underneath us. And he, like, looks down. <laughs> All the adults almost steal that movie. <laughs> Stanley Tucci almost does. Uh, the teacher, the guidance counselor, are all awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could, all, I could recommend uh, not only uh, Best Movie Year Ever, the book oh, that yeah. uh, Brian Ra- uh, Raftery. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say Rafferty. 
Well, he, he dedicates it to his father, Bill Raftery, mm-hmm. who is a CBS Sports college basketball announcer. It's not that Bill Raftery. It's not him. He's alive. Yeah. <laughs> that one is still alive. It's a yeah, different one. That's weird. Uh, but uh, while reading that book, which is about the year of 1999, which has so many great movies that came out and everything, uh, one of them that came up, I was like, I need to watch this again. I haven't seen this in, since it came out. Boys Don't Cry. Oh. Um. Now, Boys Don't Cry does have that same stigma as any tough subject, right? It's not a movie that you want to write, like go back and watch immediately because the subject matter is so terrible. But um, I wanted to go back and watch it with new eyes because I watched this back in 1999. Mm. And uh, so, um, uh, but it's about uh, a trans man by the name of Brandon Tina and Hilary Swank plays him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it's it's weird. I didn't realize that the events of this movie really take place in like a month. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like it, 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 the, all the stuff that happens, you're like, oh, okay, to establish this kind of relationship with this many people, it must have been months and months and months. But no, it was like a month, maybe less than a month. It all happened around the holidays, uh, uh, 1993, I think, somewhere around there. Hmm. But uh, he's uh, he wants to he wants to you know experience life like you know he, I'm I'm a man I'm going to experience life like a man and and Hilary Swank is so good yeah in this movie she God, the scene where he's on the motorcycle outside looking at Chloe Sevigny up in the window doing yeah work. It's so like sweetly romantic mm-hmm. um. But yeah, it's, I mean, I've seen this, I've seen this a few times, probably within the last year I've seen it at least once, um, but it's brutal, man, because it just, it, that, that sweetness is still coming with the, that hint of what's coming later. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Such a rough movie to watch, but it, so good. Yeah, it is. Uh, but seeing the excitement that he has doing these things that before he wasn't, a, like he'd probably didn't feel he had the right to do get into a bar fight like he's excited about that yep. and like uh like getting uh like uh slung around on a on a truck yeah like and, uh bucking bronco truck game or right whatever right and uh and then falling in love with a girl and and uh and uh and i don't think i've ever seen chloe sevigny like this before mm. like she's this is like most of the time it, I don't know. She's she's just very sweet in this movie. Like I don't know. Maybe she's she does this more often than I think. But she's always seems to be in these real dark movies and everything. Mm-hmm. I think she was pretty sweet in Kids too. But mm. that movie's so like dark and grungy and everything. Well, she gets like the sarcastic role, like uh, Last Days of Disco or whatever. She's not like she doesn't get to be the sweet character. She's kind of got that incisive kind of wit. Mm-hmm. Anyway. She was sweet in uh, American Psycho. Yeah, yeah. I guess <laughs> no, she was. She was. I mean, but she's always in these type of movies, yeah, right? It's hard so, for it. so it like casts this pall <laughs> over her that she doesn't deserve. Yeah. She's always playing these like kind of sweet characters even in shattered glass even yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. that and and that and of course it's funny i was watching boys don't cry and you see peter sarsgaard playing the john lauder character oh. i was like sitting there like i want to watch shattered glass after yeah, this yeah. but uh but i didn't i don't think i knew who peter sarsgaard was when this movie came out so it was kind of like an a, like a weird surprise to you know i knew from reading the book that it was him and i was like oh yeah i totally forgot that mm-hmm. but it's kind of a surprise to get this like this guy who became like a bigger actor mm-hmm. later uh in in this and everything but yeah it goes over uh it goes over this basically a month he uh brandon falls in love with the chloe 70 character 
he's got to keep this, you know, this secret guarded. And there's a point at the beginning where he's like, I'm, I want to do all this stuff. I want to get the transition, but you have to pay all this money, like serious amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it obviously leads to, to discovery and people who have no open minds whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then this movie, it's, it's making it out to be that John Lauder was in love with Chloe Sevigny or the character Chloe Sevigny plays. Mm. And, uh, and that he was driven by some sort of jealous rage in a, in a way. I mean, yes, the, the discovery that he's trans and everything is also another part of it. But I think that was ba- in the real story. That's basically what it was. They found out. I don't think Lauder had any sort of like, uh, you know, relationship with, and I can't remember the Chloe Sevigny's character's name, but, um, I don't think he, it's like Lana. I think it's lana lana yeah mm-hmm. um and uh and uh so like she, he didn't have like a relationship with her or anything but yeah it, it it's uh it's it gets to a point of like some really awful stuff um but the movie is powerful and and especially in this day and age where you know you you did you you may have not have seen it with the right eyes back mm-hmm. in then i certainly didn't back in 1999 even back in 1999 though i thought this was a good movie even though i was like i don't know about all this you know i was kind of like still in that that kind of thing mm-hmm. um but uh i i think even in 1999 i was just kind of like hey, just everybody needs to just go ahead and live their lives man i don't mm-hmm. really care mm-hmm. what's going on uh but this inspired me to watch the brandon tina story the documentary that Ooh. came out uh around the same time if not before or a little after i can't remember which one it was the documentary adds some context to some things i it was it was nice to see who what all these people actually looked like and Mm -hmm. what their what their environment was like and everything um and uh and uh there's a one thing that is an odd adaptation thing that and i'm sitting there i'm i know why they did it this way but in the killing of brandon tina which also led to the death of the character lacey gorenson plays Mm. in uh in the movie uh in in the movie they he lauder and his buddy that brendan sexton plays they kill those two people and then they they leave they they actually have a baby there's a baby that's wandering around too and they i think they nearly kill him too or something i don't know what happened i can't remember that's what happened but in the real story there's another person in the house that would have had no context in the movie and you would have wondered why the hell is this guy in the movie but they cut at the same time they kind of cut out a guy's story basically yeah. a person who and and this and this is one of those stories that i wonder if it even deserves to have its own movie someday hmm. because this guy is classic wrong place wrong time uh the guy was a boyfriend of whoever the lacey Gorenson character plays a sister is her he was he was her boyfriend Ooh. and they had had a fight or something and he went over to this house to like cool down or mm. whatever and then that happened jesus and uh mm. and uh i'm just his name's like philip something and uh, i felt bad but i was sitting there also thinking if the movie itself had just put this random dude in you would have been like who's that yeah, yeah. that makes no sense at all but they could have afterwards said it's just given a little line of some sort and said that's who that was mm-hmm. uh 
but uh, I was I was wrestling with myself as to whether it was good of them to cut that out or not yeah. because you would have been confused. Yeah, yeah. But then afterwards, you would have been if they just said, "Hey, there's a little line there." So, like, oh yeah, that's that dude. Who showed up. <laughs> uh anyway uh boys don't cry is is really really good i have had not seen it in forever and uh you know think that uh best movie year ever for for writing a having a whole section about it that book by the way is is top notch awesome. uh for yeah it's good it's really interesting i'm waiting to get into more of the meaty materials i'm about halfway through and uh, i really did appreciate that uh uh that chapter that you were talking about with all the teen movies with the yeah varsity blues and uh she's all that and mm-hmm. uh and yeah yeah it's very cool yeah yeah so is it my turn again yeah man you got something um i'm gonna warn a movie i didn't finish watching <laughs> <laughs> okay it's called dragged across concrete oh <laughs> my cousin gus who's a big old movie nerd recommended this movie to me shit sorry gus that's all right <sighs> i feel like mel gibson said to his agent Find me a role that will hurt my reputation some more. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Misogynistic, law-breaking asshole cops. Okay. Him and Vince Vaughn. Opening of the movie. Well, there's another opening scene. We also are following like a guy who gets out of prison and pulled back into crime. But I don't, really don't care about him. Um, Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson grab a suspect and puts his foot on his throat on a fire escape as they question him mm-hmm. this gets caught on film they get exposed in the news they get suspended but of course their lavish lifestyles particularly that of their wives they they cannot afford to not make money <laughs> so let's do crime sure yes mm-hmm. rob yeah, yeah. a bank yeah. then they get to the bank and they're like maybe let's just follow the bank robbers and rob them after they rob the bank <laughs> by the end of the movie some killing happens and they're going to stop the people who are doing murder and we're supposed to feel good about it maybe i don't know because <laughs> i tuned the fuck out this is like and it, what's crazy is i went and read the reviews it's got like a 70 something on rotten tomatoes i think mm-hmm. um more fresh than rotten um this just felt like provocation for the sake of provocation huh. there is nobody to root for everyone is a shitbag huh. and i'm not going to root for these cops who decide not to go along with the murdering bank robbers after all the shit that i have seen them do up until now i don't know this is the guy that made that cell block movie bone with tomahawk yeah. and he made uh brawl and cell uh, cell block 99 that's this this guy's thing is visceral violence and pushing you to the edge Seems to me the people who like the movie feel like he has found the line between exploitation and character study of bad people. I felt like it was exploitation all the way. I felt like it was just extreme for the sake of extreme. Yeah. It's so weird that that people are taking like the anti-hero Breaking Bad model and forgetting, this sounds silly, and forgetting the hero part. Because like... The Ted Bundy movie with uh, with Zach uh, from the yeah. the musical, the incredibly loud and extremely deadly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, obviously, I haven't seen Joker yet, but it seems like Joker is reveling in his histrionics mm-hmm. and justifying them in some way. Mm. Sounds like this is kind of like that. It's like people just they don't they don't care if you know that this person is a complete scumbag. If you root for a couple of actions that they do, uh, you, you're justified. Well, and I don't I don't feel like the protagonist has to be a good person no um but 
this just if you're if you're gonna do that, you got to give me something. Mm-hmm. You got to give me someone that I can root for. At least find some humanity. That's the problem I had with that Succession show. That it was just like ah, it's also a little mm. cliche too because like they get they get in trouble and like Mel Gibson's boss, the captain, same age as him, used to be his partner. Please tell me it's Danny Glover. No, but he says, you know, you'd have been captain by now if you weren't such a fuck up, and always <laughs> doing whatever you wanted to do, and now you're a forty-five-year-old or fifty-year-old man with a thirty-seven-year-old part. I don't know. It's just it, it. It was like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. I quit halfway through. I'm sorry. Um, Maybe I'm sorry, Gus. Maybe it turns around. Yeah, this. Uh, yeah, this guy has uh, has sort of uh, built a name for himself and unfortunately for me and i know this is going to hurt a lot of people's feelings but i don't think any of us have seen the other movies he's done uh-uh. no and i really want to see i hear the brawl in cell block 13 yeah i i, I hear that's good i hear that's good and i hear bone tomahawk's good we actually when we were doing a um a patreon only uh a thing uh was a month or so ago where so, where we had two questions people asking us if we had seen bone tomahawk mm-hmm. so um yeah i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to watch that at some point it's just one of those that i keep forgetting about this i movie, may be i may be on the i may be on an island 7.0 on imdb means that there's probably as many people that are like you as there are that people who are who are big uh apologists for this movie yeah. uh the movie's two hours and 40 minutes that's part of the problem <laughs> remember i said i watched half of it that's yeah it's basically a whole movie got dragged halfway I across got, yes concrete. i did get dragged halfway across <laughs> the concrete mm-hmm. you want a palate cleanser i do me myself and irene <laughs> oh i've seen <laughs> this movie a bunch i've seen what well, have you seen it a bunch mm-hmm. i've only seen it once and i remembered it being so this is coming on on the heels of uh, me of uh there's something about mary mm-hmm. in 2000 it's the Farrelly brothers and I saw it, and I was just kind of like, eh, because I felt like it had a little more gross-out humor than, you know, the, there's something about Mary. And plus, it's one of those movies where the funniest stuff happens, like, the first time he breaks. Yeah. And it's all in this big montage. Yeah. And then after that, the movie sort of has a hard time recovering from it. It is. It does have funny stuff afterwards. Yes. So, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And so I watched it, uh, you know, after having dinner one night. And I got in right at the beginning or so where he takes Renee Zellweger in and he's like, you know, he's telling her about and he's got to take these pills and stuff like that. And it was it was a little bit different from the Jim Carrey that we knew from, you know, Ace Ventura, a little bit more similar than I realized of cable guy Jim Carrey, especially (laughs) his alter ego. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The voice is similar and that kind of thing. This movie fucking killed me when i saw it this most recently it is great yeah. <laughs> uh renee zellweger is is a great comic foil she holds up every every bit as, as good as jim carrey but jim carrey letting him loose on both sides of his personality mm-hmm. you know how i feel in general about split personality disorders and yeah. bullshit like that obviously had to turn that part of my brain off yep. turn that split of my brain off but once you do that, it's fucking great, man. When he goes into his Hank stuff, it's almost like uh, a, a combination between Chip Douglas and like Clint Eastwood, like his Clint Eastwood type mm-hmm, of thing. Yeah. And like he's at the restaurant and she goes to the bathroom and he, uh, the kids turned around and he's like, what are you looking at, fucker? <laughs> you know? And then like he, re- he just reams this kid out and the kid's just staring at him. His dad gets up and walks over and he's like, my beef's not with you, Pops. I'm with the kid. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love the part where they I quote this to my wife all the time when he when they're pushing the car off the cliff to destroy the evidence and he's like, Ready on nine. What did they do five seventy nine? His kids are so fucking great. Yeah. Like Anthony Anderson. Oh, yeah. They're all like super, super geniuses. Yeah. But they still talk because, like typical uh, urban kids. Yeah. I can't figure out the Thomas Mass of this motherfucker. <laughs> you went to Yale, motherfucker. <laughs> like, yo, I couldn't get into Duke, your safety school. <laughs> oh, my God. And then then when he gets into the, they get into a train. The whole thing is him getting Renee Zellweger away from not only the, the cops who are played by uh, Richard Jenkins and uh, uh, Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper. And uh, and then the, the, the mob that's chasing her, too. Uh, you know, he, they have to go to on different adventures and everything. And so they get into this train car and they think they've made it. They're, they're going to make it to, to freedom and everything. And so one of her thugs comes in to, to kill her and she fights him off and everything. He wakes up and, and he turns into uh, he turns into Hank immediately. And so he, the bad guy and he goes and is like, is this your golf partner? And she was like, yeah, I guess. And he was like, looks like he wanted me to play through. And she's like, Hank. And he's like, turn around. I'll work on the back nine. <laughs> then the, the line that caught me out of nowhere, she's like, Hank, stop that. And he's like, don't be mad, my little pussy fart. <laughs> he calls her so many things in that, too. <laughs> I had to rewatch it. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? That's yeah. so great. Doesn't it have like a Dukes of Hazard style narration throughout the whole yeah, thing? Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> Hank found himself in trouble. Yep. Uh, oh, Jesus it's charming. It's, uh, it's better than I... When I saw it the second or third time, it was way better than I thought the first time. It is every bit as funny to me as there's something about Mary. I don't think it's as good of a movie, but as far as Fairly Brothers movies go, like Kingpin is up there. And there's something about Mary and then this. I'm glad I went back to it. It's fucking and hilarious. After this, though, n- almost nothing. Almost nothing. Stuck is good. on you. Stuck on you bullshit. is probably the best one out of that group, and that's, and that's not very good. That's awful. Yeah. Guys, it's time to talk about Mooby. Yeah. Um, there are some just awesome things. Like, yeah. look, how long have we been talking about Mooby now? More, for a while. For a while. Uh, I think the lineup the lineups that i've seen recently are the best they've ever had Ooh. i was just going to say the exact same thing you're mm-hmm. totally right yeah there's some some hard hitters on there uh one of the one of the times we've gone through movie before they had a louis bunuel like basically like three movies yeah, yeah. i watched them all one of his biggest ones is on right now it's called the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie this is like the Citizen Kane of Louis Bunuel movies. Yes, right? it is, and he was he was um, like in his seventies when he made. This oh, really? Movie. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, Unshin Andalou, which is like uh, one of the most famous short films, mm-hmm. nineteen twenty nine yeah. is when he made yeah. that. This came out in nineteen seventy two, and um, and I like a lot of Bunuel. If you're very familiar with him at all, the movie doesn't really have a narrative structure to it. It's mm. a series of just things that happen and it's essentially these these wealthy people these ambassadors and 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 one played by fernando ray who you remember from the french connection is the oh, bad yeah. guy um uh he he is he is i think he's come to paris and he's from this fictional country in south america mm. and uh and uh and they're and it's obvious that everybody that he and everybody he deals with is corrupt 
and you can see that there are there you know he there's a there's assassination attempts on him and everything like at the very beginning this is this is kind of a boonwell scene though Mm. he fernando ray looks out the window actually somebody one of his friends says hey there's a there's a woman out there, pretty woman out there. And everybody goes and looks at the, the woman and she's got all these like little plush toys that are like, like running around or whatever. <laughs> and he goes over to a cabinet or some sort and pulls out this big, huge rifle <laughs> and he goes over and he like points it out the window and, uh, and, uh, and, and the, the, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's like, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he, and he shoots one of the plush toys or whatever. And the girl turns around and then runs away. And, uh, and, 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 and you're like, what's that all about? And he's like, oh, you know, there are people in my country who want to, who want to kill me and everything, but I won't let them and all that. And I'm like, okay. Um, but the it's a series of like him, like people he's associated with, always trying to have some sort of dinner of some sort and getting interrupted hmm. all the way through. And there are so many times where things are like, okay, that we're we're getting somewhere, we're getting somewhere, and somebody will be will wake up and have a dream or whatever. Huh. Then we'll be like, oh, I just uh, just had a dream about this thing that just happened, and then something else will happen, and then somebody will be like, wake up from that, and they're like, <laughs> I had a dream. Um, and it's so absurd and so like, you know, what's going on here? Hmm. It's just constantly just. It's very interesting. I know that a lot of people probably can't deal with something that doesn't have like that straight plot narrative you know um but it it does it does say something about the rich that you know that that they're they're boring and that they're they're corrupt and and that they uh, there's a there's a scene like you, you don't think much of it at first where a priest comes in to one of these houses and uh he he um he he the people who are at the house they're out they're out right now the the uh the maid or whatever greets him and says well i don't know where they are i don't know what they're doing right now uh and he go he's like i heard that you have an opening for your gardener position or whatever and, oh yeah yeah a gardener got fired a couple of weeks ago and he's like yes i know <laughs> and he goes out to the to the shed and he starts like he starts looking at all the tools and he's like, like, he's like, Oh my God, looking like, like a kid in a candy store with these tools and everything. And he, and the next time we see him, he's in complete gardener outfit. <laughs> and the people have, the people who own the house are finally there. They're finally come back and they're like, who the hell is this? And they, and they're like, he's like, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. And they kick him out. Huh. And then like the next time he puts back his clothes on or whatever and he's priest again, he comes out, they welcome him with o- open arms. <sighs> so it's kind of like this whole thing where like, you know, hey, um, gardener, get the hell out. Mm-hmm. Priest, welcome you in mm-hmm. with open arms. And yeah, they're just awful people. And I think there is something to that that name, the discreet charm. <laughs> you know, meaning the charm is hard to find. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's one of those type of movies. It's 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 fairly abstract, but it's so entertaining and <laughs> fun to watch. <laughs> Uh, so highly recommend that if you haven't gotten movie yet, you want to go and watch that movie. Yeah, dude, there's a million things on my to watch radar. I have never seen one that's on there right now from Werner Herzog mm-hmm. called Grizzly Man. You guys have both seen this, yeah. right? Man, what a trip. I've seen it twice and it had completely different reactions. Really? Well, because I didn't know going in what I was going to get. And so I'm thinking documentary, grizzly bears guy filming himself Werner Herzog mm-hmm. this is going to be rad and it's m- really more 
of a presentation of the facts almost. And he shot so much footage of himself. And of course he is killed by bears eventually. Um, and the first time through, I was just like, wow, what a, what a weird letdown. Mm. And then the second time through, I watched it as more of a, uh, I don't know, a history of this guy or hmm. more of a, his his love of the grizzly bears is pretty pure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it comes across. He's just, he's just dumb enough to go within a hundred yards of them and name them and hug foxes and wolves. And he just, you know, eventually math says a bear's going to get you, right? Is, is a lot of this his footage? Oh, yeah. Almost yeah. all of it is. And so the rest of it is Herzog just interviewing him and stuff like that? Interviewing, Not interviewing him. Yeah. Interviewing other people, like people related to him. This is after the fact that he, he comes oh, in. Yeah. And, I got you. Oh, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Um, and he, he and his girlfriend, I think, were both slaughtered by yes. grizzly bears. Yes. Um, um, yeah. He, he pretty much, pretty like, there's scenes in there that he shot, this guy shot himself where like, where like he's just so close to bears and you're just like sitting there going damn dude and he's very you know he he knows yeah yeah but he also gets into that sort of i think almost you you almost get in that um i guess you get in your head that because you've spent so much time with these bears and they know who you are that they won't eat you after a while because you've implied some sort of friendship that has never happened and everything i guess that's the thing that they talk about in life of pie even yeah. you know or yeah. there's this idea that he <laughs> made friends with the 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 wild animal i'm sorry it's not <laughs> the same thing but yeah Werner herzog's own thing through this is sort of narrating some of the footage that's in there uh he even brings up a thing where like the guy's like adjusting his camera just so and all that and he's like and he's like uh i wonder if he knows if if he had just left the camera on and just took pictures of the nature it would tell its own story (laughs) you know all that type of stuff and uh and uh but yeah he there's a there is a tape there's an audio tape of the guy's death and Werner Herzog listens to it and uh, it's uh it's his sister or somebody yeah. who he's with and he goes I will give you some advice do not ever listen to this tape. Oh yeah. wow. You know? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh I mean the guy would set up the camera and do multiple takes like he was shooting his own film. Wow. So he would talk to the camera and then stop and go I want to do that one again. Um he was an interesting interesting guy. The first time I watched it I did not know any of the details so I was expecting a little bit less horrifying mm. uh, facts uh, mm. but the second time knowing what i was into i enjoyed it greatly so mm. i would recommend it another thing that comes through on this is his sort of his conservationist nature he's always trying to like fight the man and all this type of thing there's all these government type of things that are happening where he's trying to push back he's not supposed to be on the land he's on right yeah um but he's he's defying some sort of it's either a, a law or the land itself is like a, a preserve he's not supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. He wants to. But he knows that the other people will be doing illegal stuff. So yep. he's trying to be he's there. He's just to... compelled to, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is uh, Werner Herzog's probably most famous documentary. 
I would say so. Yeah. Maybe most famous got, work. I think it got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing the the career this dude has had. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, it didn't get nominated for an Oscar, by the way. Uh, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch your discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. There's a Lars von Trier movie on here that's a comedy. Ooh. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! It's called the boss of it all, and I'm so intrigued to see how mm. somebody with that perspective does comedy. Mm. You know, I'm sure it can be done. It may be perfectly good, and this is the beauty of of movie and how they can expose you to something. Mm-hmm. I'll throw in one that that I just saw recently because I could not be more intrigued with this subject matter in this presentation. It's Michel Gondry mm-hmm. doing a documentary essentially interviewing noam chomsky yeah 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 the linguist slash philosopher slash everything Mm -hmm. activist whatever ballerina yeah he's a his his career in ballet is really the most (laughs) underrated portion of noam chomsky's career uh are you familiar with noam chomsky no not, not, not beyond everything you just not beyond what you just said he uh he started a movement of very technically analyzing linguistics and you know, figuring out how that relates to brain development and stuff like that. Mm. One of the pioneers uh, started back in the 60s or so. That was more of his activism, but then he was he was teaching at MIT and stuff like that. And so Michel Gondry, God bless this guy. I, I fucking love this guy. He sits down, and one of the first things that he says is like, I'm really nervous. And Chomsky's like, are you serious? Like, this is this is recent. This is like 2013. So this is after, like, uh, Eternal Sunshine. This is after, like, all his music videos and stuff like that. And he's like, man, you're used to being in the public consciousness. And he's like, yes, but I'm nervous being around you. And he goes on for, like, an hour and a half to have one of the most intelligent, beautiful conversations with Gondry acting like just a blank wall, basically, huh. saying... Well, I don't understand this. And he's like, I, I'm glad that you don't understand that because as scientists and as thought makers, we have to go back to the principles of start from nothing and mm-hmm. rethink how these things inter- interact. And it's all done, not just with them sitting there. It's all done in this crazy animation that, that Gondry does oh. that, that, that shapes this conversation huh. abstractly. And then like kinetically, it is so much fun to watch. If you, uh, if you enjoyed my dinner with Andre, if you enjoy uh things like conversations that take you to weird and unexpected places, this is right up your alley. Huh. Uh, it's called "Is the Man Who Is Tall Happy?" Okay, and the the way that they get to that title is Gondry posits he's like, well, you know what, the man who is tall is happy, and Chomsky's like, well, let's think about that. What if we framed it as a question? It's got the animation of like, is the man that is tall happy? Like in that particular exercise, and it blew it blew Michelle Gondry's mind. <laughs> it's so good. Well, Sign awesome. up for movie right now for those three, and and like a lot more, and watch Lars von Trier do a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. Morbid curiosity. Yeah, for What's sure. What's the link? Tell them it's, where to uh, go. It's movie.com/slash/cinemasins. M u b i dot com slash cinema sense if you've waited this long because you're not quite sure well that lineup doesn't sound like it's for me this is the lineup for you yeah you're gonna find something in here all the ones that we talked about last time a lot of those are still on the service so go explore you got 30 days free 30 days free 30 30 days free 30 mm-hmm. 30 30 mm-hmm. uh this is the time to do it do it do it do it all right uh we're gonna do, do some questions yeah let's do do some questions i want the truth question question i got something to say i want the truth 
I am listening. I like our questions. I'm too, listening. <laughs> okay. Oh, I like this one. What piece of music in a movie or show do you love in context, but wouldn't put on and listen to it on its own? One for me would be the song that's playing in Russian Doll each time she comes back. Have you seen Russian Doll yeah. yet? Yeah. That's that. Gotta get up. Gotta get up. Get yeah. the weekend. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the the guy that had the song in Goodfellas too. Um, what's his name? Oh, really? Yeah, he's got a bunch of uh, different um, uh, kind styles of songs. And Is I, it older song? Um, Not the Saint Motel song. Get, get up. It's Harry Nelson. Yeah, Harry yeah. Nelson. Harry, that, the the song that that's playing in Goodfellas when the uh, helicopter is going mm-hmm. back and forth mm-hmm. and chasing after uh, after um, uh, Henry Hill is that mm-hmm. that song. Um. So speaking of Jim Carrey and the Cable Guy, uh-huh. the Jefferson Airplane cover <laughs> that he does, "Don't You Want Somebody to Love?" Uh-huh. Have you heard that out of context? Yes. They've. You, didn't they play it on the radio or something? They may have, but I, I I think I just I think it was just like me listening to some albums or something one time. Yeah, it's on the soundtrack as that version. Yeah, right? it's Jim Carrey doing this or whatever, or maybe his character name. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, but uh, yeah, you have to really. This is not a song that I feel like I could like totally listen to all the time, <laughs> like as a regular song. It really does require the, the gymnastics of Jim Carrey. Uh, because he comes out there and just totally blows this thing out of the water, and he's just like, "When the truth is found, <laughs> to be lies." He does all the little runs and everything, <laughs> and then like all the just the the stuff that he does in there. And he has to do that that long prolonged thing, and he's like, put, like going in and out with his neck, <laughs> you know, and all that. Uh, I think that's a perfect um, uh, uh, example of that, of this question. <laughs> we just had a baby born on the left side of the party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need an ambulance this, over this, by the scaffolding. Yeah, the scaffolding. <laughs> da-da-da, da-da-da. <laughs> uh, I wrote down any of that born shit from the end, or any of that Moby shit oh, from the, the end Moby of the born song. movies. Um, I think it might be the same song at the end of each movie. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Oh, then in like... Yeah. Uh, which one is it? Is it? It's either Legacy or the the Jason Bourne, where they ended up having to remake it. Oh, really? Or they had they got somebody to cover it or whatever. But uh, but that Moby song, uh, I actually I actually do listen to that song every once in a while. Um, but I know what you what you're what you're saying. It would never be on any of my intentional playlists, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it has now, but ultimately. I basically just know Moby's music as part of the Bourne franchise. Like, really? That song's called Extreme Ways. Extreme Ways. Mm-hmm. would never have known that. Mm. But yeah, I could boil Moby's entire career down to that guy who did the song at the end of Bourne Ultimatum. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and did not date Natalie Portman. And yeah. Did, did not <laughs> yes, exactly. Natalie Portman. And who's too old. It's over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the best use of that, though, is probably Ultimatum because it's Julia Stiles is looking at that news thing oh, at yeah. the end and like they like they weren't able to find his body and she looks up. <laughs> but then you see him underwater go from limp to like frog swimming underwater. I told this before, but I saw that on my honeymoon with my wife because it was like 108 degrees on our honeymoon. We just wanted to get out of 
the heat. She didn't care about this movie, but I had seen the first two. And as soon as it was done, before we were even out of the auditorium, I said, I want to see this movie immediately again. <laughs> <laughs> and she went with you. No, we went back and slept. It was like 9 p.m. at that point. Yes, quote unquote, <laughs> slept. We honeymoon slept. Have you have you done that? Have you done? I know that you were talking. <laughs> I know that you were talking about doing that with with a movie like Lord of the Rings or something one time. But have you ever done that? Watched a movie and then like watched it right after? No, no. But Isaac did that here at Sin Week when we did Us. <laughs> oh, yeah, remember that's right. That? I turned remember. Right around and went in and watched Us again. Yeah, yeah. We you went to see Game Night within like a couple of days. Of well, each yeah, other, but right? I saw Game Night with my brother and then. Two or three nights later, I took my wife to see. Yeah, That's yeah. about as close as I've been. I, I mean, think, yeah. But it was, I think it was Lord of the Rings or something that that you were like, I'm going to watch this and then I'm going to watch it again right after, <laughs> which is impossible. It's impossible. Anybody out there who says they've seen Lord of the Rings and then just rewound it and watched it again, you're lying. I don't believe you. <laughs> Uh, there's a song that's at the beginning of, uh, uh, Scrubs, the TV show Scrubs. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. So I can't do this all on my own. No, I know I'm no Superman. Oh yeah. It's by a guy named Laszlo Bain. And I downloaded it back when I had LimeWire. <laughs> Before Napster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> And, man, I was like, I love that song so much. I'm going to listen to it all the time. I can't listen to it outside of that. Because it's just like, it's, it's nothing. It's just, it's like a bad Jason Mraz crossed with, like, uh, Freddy Fingers. Freddy, uh, Fleeker in the speaker. Freaker. Freaker by the speaker. Freddie, god damn it, you know this guy. Freddy Johnson? Freddy Johnson. Yes. Well, you said Freddy, so. You yeah. Know. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so different from mm -hmm. Freddy. <laughs> it is. Anyway, uh, but that's a great song in context. <laughs> and a couple others that I, that I wrote down. I love nirvana i love everything <laughs> in in on nevermind he totally did that uh that uh, in blue yeah, thing yeah. <laughs> nirvana. um and i love something in the way mm -hmm. but typically something in the way which is a great song was in the middle of between like uh like uh, uh on a plane and then the 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 last song the endless nameless thing mm -hmm. so i kind of went through it but then when you watch jarhead a movie that we talked about last yeah week, um it's used in a perfect way. You just watch this scene. Yeah. Because it starts off with Jake Gyllenhaal's character just losing his mind. Like mm -hmm. he start, he's, he's been in the desert for a long time now. He's got the one picture that his girlfriend sent him that's like slightly revealing. So he's trying to whack off in the beginning of the thing. He can't do it. So he's getting all pissed off. He talks to his girlfriend. They get disconnected. So he's even more frustrated. He's absolutely going bonkers. And so. It, when the when the music kicks on, like something in the way, he uh, looks up and he sees a reflection of his girlfriend, and then he bends down <clears throat> and he vomits up all of the sand, yeah, into the sink, and it's an arresting visual, and it's perfect with oh, that yeah. song. Uh, so that's one that yes, I love the song in general, but I love it paired with that visual even better. Yeah, mm. and then I will probably never listen to Edith Piaf's "Je Ne Regrette Rien" <laughs> uh, anytime outside of Inception, mm -hmm. and that will always remind me of that for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of uh, of uh, songs that I never thought that um, um, I would listen to after the movie, but uh, and I know this isn't part of the question, but 
I think the Cheers theme song is actually a good song on its mm-hmm. own, even though it's got it's, it's disorienting to hear more verses to <laughs> yeah. that and everything. I used to say that Michael W. Smith's "Friends Are Friends Forever" was the Christian Cheers theme yeah. song. <laughs> friends are friends forever. <laughs> I feel it's like the Lord's a load of them. It feels like the same guy <laughs> wrote both will songs. Say never, and the welcome will not of all end. the people to show off <laughs> so their it's lyrical hard knowledge. To let you go. Oh my God! In the Father, Son, we know <laughs> that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends <laughs> making their way through the world today takes everything you got and then and then there's that song in hot rod the john farnham you're the voice song that happens during the riot that happens in hot rod you're oh. the voice try and understand it. <laughs> yeah. and and it's done in such a mock epic way that mm-hmm. you're like oh this is just a you know they just threw this in for the laughs and everything and then i was like i kind of like this song <laughs> and i like i like downloaded it and everything and i've listened to it millions of times it's so it's i mean the the song is is extremely like super ballad type of you know yeah. but it did like, it cranks my engine man <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happened to me for uh joe esposito's you're the best oh yeah <laughs> from uh karate kid yeah, yeah. you're the best <laughs> <All right. laughs> which actors have done the most with the smallest role and I don't just mean screen time. It could be number of lines or a background character. The obvious ones in terms of screen time would be Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs and Anne Hathaway in Les both gaining an Oscar for less than 16 minutes of footage. Anne Hathaway's good in Les Miserables, right? Sure. Yeah. But that's a bad movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. yes. Okay. It, I think it has lots of fans. Yes. But I think even those fans know it's flawed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you don't fast forward Russell Crowe singing at the top of that dam, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> You're not a human being. What do we think about small small roles, small screen time? It was funny this uh, I don't mean to call this question out, but it said role R O L L and I was like sitting there thinking, what's this good snarky answer to that? The small the smallest role and the only thing I can think of is in Dead Poet Society where they threw in half a role. Oh, and then, yeah. So whoever was the actor that threw that in did the best with the smallest role. Oh, nice. Uh, but uh, I put in uh, Peter Sellers and Lolita. Oh, God, that's so he's got a, great. like a 10 minute section in there, right? He's not in there much. He's got a 10 minute section, I believe, all at the beginning, because, yeah, it's it's basically when he comes into the, the house and it ends when he with him shooting him mm-hmm. and in that period of time he does probably 10 to 15 voices yeah it's amazing for me this is a perfect pick oh yeah peter sellers is uh, the only thing i worried about was i haven't seen lolita in probably 20 years mm-hmm. and i was like is am i remembering this wrong because i felt like he was only in one scene no he's he's peppered in there uh later in her life mm-hmm. uh because he's the I think the performer that takes her away from the mm. James uh, Marshall. Yeah, James Mason. James Mason. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's in there just but very sparingly. Yeah. So that's that's my choice. Perfect. Perfect. I actually like the way this shook out for me because I ended up coming up with three actors and two movies for each actor where they did this. Mm. So I'm going to share all of them just because I'm so proud of myself and... Uh, my name's on the masthead. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Hemsworth in the 2009 Star Trek. Yep. That opening 10 minutes. He's as compelling as anything that happens in the rest of that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also Chris Hemsworth in the 2015 Vacation movie with yeah, Ed Yeah, for sure. Where he's probably the funniest thing about the movie as the... Easily. Conservative 
cow breeding, um, ATV riding, leatherman uh, brother-in-law. <laughs> and makes a giant imprint in his underwear he as does. he walks around. He's got a, you've never seen this, right? No. He's got a ginormous cock. Um, <laughs> and they, they talk around it the whole time. But then like he just comes to check on him. It's Christine Applegate and Ed Helms. You know, make sure everything was all right. He co- comes over to the side of the bed and puts one leg up on the nightstand so his like, giant banana cock yeah. out there. And then when he leaves, Ed Helms says something funny. Like, Yeah, like, did he, he doesn't even mention the penis. Yeah, it's, he's like, he's trying to show off his six-pack. Or yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also wrote down Michael Sheen in either Tron Legacy or Passengers. Yeah. Bam! Because Michael Sheen is the best thing about anything Michael Sheen is in. Yes. And he's in both of those movies for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. I love in Tron Legacy when he's like, the son of a maker! <laughs> um, and then I wrote down Bill Hader in Pineapple Express. Adam Knight yeah. as the bee's knees. Yeah. Or Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where he nearly steals it as the friend that... Yeah, like, but a brother, stepbrother. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the moon. Uh, you yeah. really want to go there? You really want to go there? <laughs> you I'll don't offend you, <laughs> you dick. <laughs> you don't need to put your P in a V right now. <laughs> oh, that's gross. I know what you're doing. God damn, that is a good list. Yeah, and I I did it by accident. I came up with one, and I was like, oh, yeah. And then I came up with another, and I was like, oh, wait, Bill Hader was also in that one. <laughs> I also included uh, Kevin Spacey in Seven and uh, Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. Good call. Oh, yeah. Both of them good Speaking calls. of Kevin Spacey, I've got uh, Benicio Del Toro in The Usual Suspects. Yeah. Because I think he seems like he's his imprint is in that movie. But I think he's only in a few scenes. Yeah, and because got, he gets killed. Yeah, uh, he's the first one of them to get killed, yeah. right? Um, and he's just got such a great delivery. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was written into the the screenplay itself. I believe he did that on his own. If I, I I've I've heard the commentary on this movie, um, and I couldn't quite. There were some things I couldn't quite catch in some of their commentary because it's him and Macquarie who uh-huh. are doing the. Uh, doing the commentary but they said that del toro was doing this the like basically just sort of did this the whole time i think i think that was his invention i love when actors can go right to the line of being intelligible but still sell it like brad pitt and snatch yeah as derided as his devil's own irish accent was he fucking nailed it in snatch now i know that accent has been widely derided by some people yeah but I think it's fucking great, man. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other two obscure ones, obscurish. Robert Blake, Beretta yeah. in uh, in uh, Lost Highway. Yep. He 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 murdered someone, so I can't really like, <laughs> be like, yeah, in, in, yeah, in real life. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, call your house. Oh God damn! That scene will never not give me weird chills. Mm-hmm. Another movie that gives me weird chills at a certain point. And it's not a great movie, but I think it's an underrated movie. It's The Gift. And not uh, the tubby, yeah. the tubby uh, thing <laughs> with uh, Joel Edgerton and, uh, and Jason Bateman. It's <laughs> like, where, where well, are you going with that? <laughs> the tubby giant. Didn't they used to call Joel Edgerton something yes. like tubby? Yes. In, in the Jason Bateman was like a bully of yeah, some yeah. sort. Yeah. Um, in, in the 2000 version of The Gift, it's Kate Blanchett. Sam Raimi a, one, yeah. Yeah, the Sam Raimi one. She's a psychic. And she's trying to figure out Katie Holmes and Greg Kinnear and Canoe. And Keanu Reeves plays a really big asshole boyfriend. He does it very convincingly. And I think he he does a very good job acting. So good job, Keanu. I think so. 
Yes. And that's I, I, I like that movie. I would recommend that movie. I would yeah. too. Uh, I like this one a lot. Uh, oh, we've done it before, but there's so much to choose from that I feel like we should go back to the well. What movie scene is far better than the movie it's in? Okay. So typically, this is about a movie that's bad, that has a great scene in it. Mm-hmm. I am going to pick a movie that's good. Okay. That has a great scene in it. Uh, Werner Herzog again. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw this movie on movie. Gosh, this is a nice. This is a nice one. Like we're you, you would you think we were like like sprinkling in more movie, <laughs> but like this is what came to my head. Uh, he did a movie called Fitzcarraldo. Uh, back in 1982, I uh-huh. believe. Uh, and there is a scene in there. So the story is about a guy who wants to build an opera house in like the middle of the Amazon jungle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had, there's a point where he, he, there's a, it's, it's something about, um, he gets a piece of land that's like a part of this big, like there's a rubber boom back in the day. Mm. Uh, and the piece of land is hard to, hard to get to, uh, one one part of it like the the part that you'd want to take a big huge ship down uh is got all these rapids that you can't can't really pilot a boat through and everything to get to this place and but he sees another part on the map that's like a smaller like little thing that you go through uh the problem is is that the natives don't like outsiders so he has sort of this uh this conundrum of what he need what he has to do with the boat once he gets to this crucial spot and his idea is to tug the entire uh 300 something ton steamboat over a mountain hmm. basically just tying it with ropes and having everybody that's on there just like lit like bringing this thing up Werner hartzog actually is a madman enough to do this did this in real life really they they hauled uh, and i think four people got hurt doing it Mm. uh luckily nobody died uh but uh they hauled this steamboat over a mountain in the amazon and that's how they got to the other side without having to deal with uh the natives or the or or having to deal with the rapids Hmm. and they filmed that yeah is that the one with klaus kinski in it klaus kinski and this was after aguirre's wrath of god where he and 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 uh, Herzog had had a huge like where they were about to come to blows, right? Yeah, and <laughs> he wanted Jason Robards for this role. Oh yeah, and Jason Robards got sick, so they, he went back to Klaus <laughs> Kinski, and uh, apparently this this shoot was no better. <laughs> <laughs> for them ah. so then you introduce all this real life tension into this That's yes funny. exactly wow. now i can't i i'm i don't quite recall because this is based on a real thing hmm. so i don't know if that's the exact thing that happened in real life but apparently it's close enough hmm. and i think Ver, Ver herzog when you said building an opera house in the amazon and rubber i almost interrupted you to say this is a true story because i felt like i read something about this on wikipedia mm-hmm. in the last couple of years like yeah is- the the real the real guy's name is something close to fitzcarraldo it's like fitzcar fitzcarral or something mm. like that uh and yeah uh the the uh, the the land at the time was was going through some rubber boom hmm. which i you know i'm i'm not entirely familiar with or anything all i know is is that this is the the piece of land that he gets it's just like the stool boom <laughs> in in Blaine, Missouri, yeah. only with rubber yeah. in the Amazon. Really the natives were down there going rubber boom. <laughs> yes, never stopping, never sleeping, working. 
<laughs> this guy shops at Walmart. He doesn't even support the town. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's the, the the movie is good. That scene is better than the whole movie. Gotcha. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I got two. All right. I pulled these out of my ass. All right. I'm pretty proud of these. Uh, there's a 2013 movie with Ethan Hawke and Selena Gomez called Get- <laughs> called Getaway. Did you see it? <laughs> I never saw it. Okay, no. so this is this is a very standard voice on the other end of the phone giving you instructions, and you have to do whatever the voice says. Kind of thriller. Ethan Hawke is behind the, the wheel of a custom made Shelby uh, Cobra Mustang muscle car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't quite remember how Selena Gomez ends up with him except that her dad owns the bank that the voice on the phone later asks ethan hawk to rob so it's not a movie that's worth your time in any way except for one thing there is a minute and a half long one take car chase where it looks like they set a, a, a hd gopro camera on the front bumper of the shelby mm-hmm. and he's chasing a truck and i'll send you the video you can put it in the description of the podcast it's fucking riveting not just Hmm. because of the angle and the speed but they cross two major intersections where other cars are crossing and they have near misses but it's all one take this whole time where they're weaving in and out of traffic and it's stupendous wow um and then another movie i just saw a couple of days ago uh all the way through called thoroughbreds from a couple years ago Mm -hmm. with Uh anya Anya taylor joy oh yeah yeah, yeah. and somebody else famous um who looks like johnny depp's daughter but it's not her (laughs) um This is a this is a weird ass movie. Uh-huh. I would I would record warn to warn this huh. movie. I'd probably just warn it. It wants to be Heather's. Uh-huh. Um, came out around the same time that Heather's TV show was coming around. Um, and basically, these two girls were friends when they were younger. Uh, the non Anya Taylor Joy one, Olivia Cook. Olivia Cook. Oh, all right. Um, she has recently gotten out of a situation home prison probation whatever because she slaughtered her horse mm. um and she was convicted of animal cruelty she always claimed because uh, the horse did have a broken leg or some kind of health problem and she was trying to end its life she was trying to do euthanasia but her story is that a number of things went wrong to the point where the only way she could kill the animal in quick fashion was to slice its throat mm. but it ended up being this bloody scene mm. so then she's sent off to anya taylor joy by her mother to get tutoring and they rekindle their friendship and anya taylor joy's stepdad is a real ass face mm. um verbally and physically abusive to the mom it's hinted at maybe to the daughter as well and the girls begin to joke fantasize about what if we killed him mm. at one point anton yelchin is in this movie um playing completely against type he usually plays like a sweet character Mm -hmm. and here he's like a street thug drug dealer they go to buy drugs from him then they try and talk him into doing the murder they're trying to blackmail him into doing the murder hit him over the head and his head busts open he ends up getting away anyway this is i'm gonna spoil the whole movie (laughs) right at the end um anya taylor joy and olivia cook are watching tv in anya taylor joy's house lights are off we're kind of pov of the television set and they start talking and olivia cook is drinking and anya taylor joy's like stop drinking i don't want to go through with it she's like what she's like i roofied your a lot of roofie talk today (laughs) i roofied your drink with the date rape drug because what i was going to do was go upstairs and kill my stepdad and then come down and put the knife in your hands and olivia cook's response to this is to guzzle the rest of the drink oh but the cool shot 
is the camera just lingers there looking at the couch. Anya Taylor-Joy stands up, walks slowly around the couch, walks into the kitchen. You hear some banging, clattering. Then you see her walk here and go up the stairs. Then you hear what sounds like the average noise of a girl stabbing her stepfather to death upstairs. (laughs) Meanwhile, Olivia Cook's just asleep on the couch and the camera's like slowly zooming in. And then Anya Taylor-Joy comes down, wipes blood all over her friend, and then puts her friend's arm around her and snuggles her. The end. Wow. Mm. It's a really cool scene that is not worth sitting through the whole movie for. Now watch somebody come on in the comments and say, no, the whole movie's awesome. It took its cues from this one thing that this one guy in Russia did. (laughs) You don't know that, so it's really actually awesome. Um, There is a fun scene, though, where they're talking, and there's an outdoor chess set. It's big. It's like half the size of, like, two feet tall chess pieces and olivia cook for getting sarah marsh yeah i guess yes and olivia cook's walking around playing chess playing both sides and she's moving all the pieces correctly and playing the game because she even takes a pawn and moves it off the side of the Mm -hmm. board it's not they don't talk about that at all it's just like what her character's indefinite Mm. business is for that scene Mm. anyway really cool creepy slow pan in shot there and also the one take uh car chase in getaway those are my my two answers all right nice all right i have four quick ones you ever seen from hell yeah no actually this is a movie where I wasn't working at Hollywood 27 anymore. Jeremy still was or had just come back. I can't remember if you were. This was 2001, right? Mm-hmm. When From Hell uh-huh. came out. So I had left and either you had stayed or you left and came back. I can't remember what where, where it was. But I was like, can I see that From Hell movie? And you let me in. And I went and started watching it, and I fell asleep during the middle. Of <laughs> and I and I and when I woke up, I had no idea what was going on, so I got up and left. So this is the Hughes brothers, right? Yeah. So they did Menace to Society, uh-huh. and I loved that movie. Yeah. And then after that, they did Dead Presidents, mm-hmm. which I didn't love as much, but people did. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they went to From Hell, and this is the one where I gave up. Yeah, this is Johnny Depp and Heather Graham, Heather Graham. with a. Not only a mm. British accent, mm. this is British ho accent, <laughs> where she's like, I'm I'm going to eat some cock tonight. Oh, the rain and rain. Oh, no. Spain falls mainly on the plane. <laughs> I, oh, my God. Uh, mm. It's fucked up. Uh, Johnny Depp is an opium-addicted uh, investigator for Scotland Yard, oh. and and I, I, I kind of liked it. It's about Jack the Ripper. It's about Jack the Ripper, and yeah. he's ripping hoes. He's ripping, ripping them. He's yeah. ripping prostitutes. Ripping them. And I'm going to spoil this movie, too. <laughs> Are there any roofies in it? <laughs> yeah, there's roofies. Actually, yeah, maybe. Um, <coughs> so the the killer is Ian Holm, right? Oh. Tiny little uh, Fifth Element. Yeah. Uh, Fifth Element, I like that little walk <laughs> Ian, you just did. Ian Holm. Uh, he's been set up to be, I think, a doctor, some sort of advisor to Johnny Depp's character this whole, this whole movie. And... When they finally, when he finally puts the pieces together and Heather Graham and everybody comes together and says, Hey, this is probably him. It cuts to a shot of Ian Holm in the back of his carriage. And they, they do this weird like color correction thing where he's like green and it cuts to the motion of the, the sound of the carriage was going. And it's very, very fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very arresting visual. And then it goes back to Johnny Depp overdosing on his hair, his his opium. Uh, (laughs) Two more, four rooms. Four Rooms is a stupid, silly movie overall. I like watching it, but that final room, uh, The Man from Hollywood, is fucking awesome. Yeah. It's so much fun. There's a lot of one-shots in that that one where it pans down the all Tarantino the way from one. the thing. It's the Tarantino one. And, uh, you know, Tim Roth tries to run out, and Quentin Tarantino goes, money! 
<laughs> he brings him back. He like hops on one foot. That's a really good scene. Ready Player One is a trash fire. It's a garbage fire. But that shining scene is still fun to watch. Yeah, I haven't gotten that far. I've tried uh, to watch this movie twice, and I've never made it further than twenty minutes. It's in. It, it's it's hard to watch. It's hard visually to watch for me. But that shining scene is fun. Mm-hmm. And the last one is. I rewatched this scene recently. It was uh, it's the beginning of the Pick of Destiny, which is the oh, worst yeah. movie. Yeah, I love Tenacious D, but I f- yeah, this that movie movie's is awful. awful. But the first time that Jack Black and Kyle Gass meet on Venice Beach, they're like two competitive like uh, like street performers, and then all of a sudden like they they have this moment of silence and they both start playing together and like Jack Black sings along with it perfectly. Then Kyle Gass goes into like fur release and he's like, if you want to fucking rock and fucking roll, it's all set up perfectly. And then he goes like flat of the bumblebee and all this stuff. And by the end of it, like Kyle Gass is like getting all crazy and everything. And they fall in love at the end of the scene. It's great. And then this one dude that's like, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> Did I ever sing my fur release from when I was in elementary school and I did a church play? Um, in no. church, and they cho- they made lyrics to for Elise. No, <laughs> mother made unleavened bread today. Let it cool while I went out to play. When I came back, I found it on the ground, being eaten by the neighbors' hound. <laughs> Some days I wish I could have stayed in bed. Those are days I. Oh. Some days somehow I just can't find a friend. Those are days that never seem to end. The end. All right. <laughs> I think between that and our friends are friends forever, we got this covered. We got uh, the Christian people covered today. Pick of Destiny does have a pretty funny Tim Robbins cameo in it. Uh, God, what is that? Doesn't he? Doesn't he come in and tell them the story about the Pick of Destiny and everything? Is that Tim Robbins? I believe it is Tim wow. Robbins. It's been a while because Tim Robbins those. and Jack Black and John Cusack and mm-hmm. all those, those all they all like are connected and everything. Yeah. yeah, you said you said Tim Robbins and I went straight to uh, high fidelity. High fidelity. Yeah. Yeah. Just like fucking the girl, like with his oils. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awful. Take your smell. patchouli scent out of here. Dumb <laughs> um, motherfucker. Yeah. By the way, uh, uh, you said that you gave up on the Hughes brothers after From Hell. Well, they uh, almost pretty much gave up after that movie. Aww. Well, I mean, they did music videos and TV shows and, and, and segments of things. But The Book of Eli was oh. something that they did which wow. is a good movie i like that movie yeah and uh and uh the other was it so it's alan hughes usually it's al alan and albert hughes albert hughes did the uh that dog movie that came out last year called alpha oh. or maybe it's a wolf movie oh really yeah and it was just him that and did. that was like that was the live live action one right uh yes yeah, yeah. and uh those guys are, are twins i think um okay well that'll do it for this week uh keep going to syncast presented by cinema sins on facebook we have a discord if you want to go on the discord come over and uh go to a private message i can give you a link to that actually you can go to a lot of places and ask for a link and i can provide it uh on you provided one to what soundcloud on email and then one was on uh there's apparently one on the reddit there's a a way to get it through those oh there's one to get through the reddit as well okay great uh we also have cinema sense twitter uh music video sense twitter uh and uh soundcloud we can all you can uh comment on a lot of places about this episode that's right uh anyway that'll do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasense.com
was just before I came here. I was watching a movie that um, I never even heard of from 2004 with Ashley Judd and Samuel L. Jackson and Andy Garcia called Twisted. Oh yeah, that, that I've movie? heard that. I never saw it. I heard it was horrible. Oh, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, she's a police detective. She gets her first big homicide case, turns into a serial killer. All mm. the victims are dudes she's fucked. Oh, nice. And it really? takes them until all like the victims are all the. All the victims, oh. but it takes them until like twenty minutes left in the movie to even think about locking her up. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole time, they're like, "Well, there's no evidence against her. The killer might stop if he thinks that we've, you know, if she is connected to it. We've got to keep her out there on the case." And yeah, and a bunch more people die. Mm-hmm. And then everything the movie, everything about movies tells you it's Andy Garcia, her partner, who's doing the killings, mm-hmm. which means it's not. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. It's Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Oh, and there's a huge roofie subplot. Like, she she keeps passing out every night. She's going to fucking therapy. She keeps... Pa- David Strathairn is her therapist. Mm-hmm. Because wow. she keeps passing out every night, and they think it's like a mental health issue. Now, if somebody keeps roofing her wine every night, it's Samuel L. Jackson. But then at the big climax, after everybody knows about the roofies, they, they go to Andy Garcia's house to confront him because they think he's the killer. And Samuel L. Jackson's like... I'm going to pour some wine. Let's do a toast. Let's do a toast to Ashley Judd before we get into all this. What do you guys say? And everybody drinks the wine and Andy Garcia gets roofied. (sighs) (laughs) It was a trip. Yeah. What's the what's the purpose of roofying Andy Garcia? Um, They're going to have the Samuel Jackson's plan is to have to make it look like he killed himself. And this he and Ashley Judd are going to be in it together because he's been the, he's been the one that's been killing all the guys she fucked the, uh, the whole time. And I guess he thinks he's going to implicate her, but she pulls a gun on him. But then Andy Garcia's roofies wear off after like three minutes. Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fucking bad. Yeah. But I just I there's nothing better to me than flipping the dial and seeing a movie with people I know from an era I remember movies and I have never heard of this happened when we were on Jesus a trip to either LA or Chicago where that fucking movie Revolver came on TV with mm. Mark Strong mm-hmm. and I'd never even heard of that and I watched that whole th- it's not good either but I watched that whole thing all the way to the end yeah I was like was well, ripped it Philip Kaufman did that movie yeah twisted Who's Philip Kaufman? He did the right stuff. The right stuff. And the unbearable lightness of and being. Rising Sun. Um, but yeah, he, not he that Rising Sun the, is some like high art or anything. He did the body snatch, the good body snatchers. Mm. Oh my God. But, I'm just uh, saying, if you're investigating the murders and, and, and you come across one victim and it's a guy you fucked a couple nights ago, you should take, you should be taken off the case. You should probably be demoted, maybe locked up until the duration. Like this. A couple who, nights ago? Oh yeah. She fucks this dude in the opening scene. And then, like, he ends up dead, and that's her first case. And she doesn't tell anybody. Mm. Only after the second victim shows up, and it's another guy she's fucked, does she say anything. Oh, yeah. So embarrassing to admit you fucked some guy. Especially and you want to know dead. what's most interesting about this movie? The reason I brought this, the whole reason I brought this up is the guy who played Jacob and the guy who played the man in black in the last season of Lost, Tim, uh, Titus Welliver and yeah. Blonde Guy, are both in this movie. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> One of them is a guy she has angry sex with a lot, and then uh, he, he he she wants to stop, and he and he won't, and so she beats his ass up. Then he comes back to kill her. Uh, the other guy is a cop. Titus Welliver is like a co-cop who just keeps calling her slut and like <laughs> intimidating her and like trying to harass her. Watch this. It was mm. it was a fun hour and a half. I'm not gonna lie, it's not I, a good movie. I remember it. <laughs> it's got a one percent on run. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I remember this coming out, and I was like, you know, I, I, anything Ashley Judd does because I've met her and everything. Yeah, I kind of want to watch it, but yep. that movie, 
I heard it was horrible from the get go, and uh, so I never, I never watched it, and um, I, and I think we had it for two weeks. You're better off watching. There were doors. There were walls. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So first of all, I think there should be a column that you should be able to click on on Rotten Tomatoes to tell you which reviewer made it fresh because there's only one. Armin White. No, it's actually not him. Yeah. (laughs) I like how, wouldn't you, if you were passing out at night, wouldn't, before you go to a shrink, wouldn't you like try a night without the wine? (laughs) Right? Like something's wrong with me. (laughs) I need to, I need to not, I mean, every night she drinks a glass of wine. I feel like I would know I was being roofied after the second night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got that roofie feeling. Taste, plus you can taste the roofies. No, you can't. I don't know. I don't know where roofie technology is these days. I don't either. And I'm glad. You're nodding enthusiastically. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just joking. Yeah. I, don't know. I don't know anything about roofies. I'm going to slip on my Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> that was the. That was like the baby boomers roofies. Yeah. Was the Mickey. A, a Mickey. <laughs> I mean, it was 2004, so I was not working at the theater anymore, mm-hmm. but I was still... Hanging out with you, I was still going to movies. I yeah. just thought it's crazy to me how many movies get released that, and we just pretend like half of them never existed. I mean, that's a good fucking cast too. It's a great cast and a good director. Yeah, and like she had a trauma with her dad, and Samuel Jackson was her dad's partner, but I guess he's wanted to fuck her all the all that time, but and then he reveals at the end he's the one that killed the dad. That was a whole genre back then, though, right? <laughs> Ashley Judd in some psychological thriller. Yeah, there's like that six was, of them. Yeah, there's a lot. Double Jeopardy, Kiss the Girls. Um, <laughs> the one with J- Jim Caviezel. Uh, Murder right, by Numbers. Righteous Kill. Not no. Righteous Kill. It's uh, High Crimes. High Crimes was another one. Um, Eye of the Beholder was another one. Yep. Uh, but in the middle of all of that, she would always do stuff like Where the Heart Is, <laughs> Someone Like You, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Mm-hmm. She would mix uh, a you know psychological thriller with some treacly you know lady movie. <laughs> <laughs> I got about halfway through that best movie year ever book, mm-hmm. and I was reading the thing about like a uh, dude getting on his knees and begging Reese Witherspoon to be in Cruel Intentions. Oh yeah, yeah. And I guess she had already wrapped election at that point mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so she had a hell of a 99 well Who I, begged her uh the director of danger uh, and that's where she was roger robert roger cumble that's where she yeah. falls in love with philippi right yeah no so they like, they were already dating yeah oh, they, they were, were already, already they were they were boyfriend and girlfriend they weren't married that's interesting yeah i was it's, gonna say that movie would have changed her life completely then if that's the case like if she meets him on that movie and fault because they were married for years and have kids they have yeah. a son and a daughter that look exactly like both of them yeah they do so I would, because we were doing an ER study in epilepsy, I would go in there and be like, oh, that's the dude. Oh, mm-hmm. from The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. From The Bachelor. Nice. Mm-hmm. He didn't have like a twinkle in his eye or anything like that. It was just, he was usually covered in blood or puke or something like mm-hmm. that. Nice. <laughs> that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> there was, <laughs> there was an ER st- I did, what we were looking for was the like helping people get to post ER care that had epilepsy. And so I got the sweet access to the, the charge nurse. Every new admission, if they had epilepsy, she would call me at my desk. I'd go down there and I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's talk. And so she's like, I got the mother load for you. <laughs> I got three p- admissions right now. Uh, and uh, come on down. You got three people in your study. It's hard to recruit for. And so went down. One is busy with his doctor. 
The other one had gotten up to go to the bathroom break. The other one was laying down in his bed, and I was like, fuck yeah. I go over like, Mr. Smith, how's it? he's dead. Oh, my God. He is motherfucking dead. They already Damn. pronounced him, and they're ready to fucking. So I go back, and my PI, uh, Dr. Khalil, he was like, so how'd you do? And I was, I was like traumatized. Oh, I was God. about to cry, and I was like, well, he was he was dead. Jeez. Oh, my God. That's the worst. Yeah. I like that you were laughing. I was what? expecting some kind of great punchline, and instead you're laughing out of more. It's like It's like the story that Diane Keaton tells in Annie Hall, or she's telling. She's like, and now he's, he's dead. He's dead. Oh, I don't know, even know why I told that. <laughs> French bread. French fries. I don't know any French people. Uh, Dakota Johnson in Social Network speaks French. Ah, oui. It's as close as I get. Yeah, mm. super. Mm. I've been uh, training my son to do the bare necessities. A French? Yeah, bonjour. Comment allez-vous? You speak French? Uh, un peu. Un peu? <laughs> There's a great episode of Friends where Joey says on his resume he speaks French. <laughs> and he gets a role and then he has to actually speak it, but he, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So Phoebe's trying to teach him French, and she's like, say after me, je m'appelle, and he goes, flu de bee, and she goes, je m'appelle, and he's like, blue de blip, like the whole episode, that's all he does, is that kind of shit. Yes. Uh, it is funny, I actually rewatched that, um, uh, the Motherless Brooklyn trailer again, and uh, I didn't realize that he does some of that stuff at the on the front end, too, mm-hmm. because there's that little tick thing at the end. I think the the stuff at the beginning is even more accurate to what I've seen than the stuff at the end. I need you to watch the score so you can tell me. I, I, why don't I? I if need he to see did it. good Tourette's for the score, and that's why it looks like he's the same thing here. Because in the score, I feel like he was supposed to be like Down syndrome or. Is that what he's attempting as Tourette's? In the score? Yeah. I have no idea. Oh, okay. I don't even know he's if they ever spell it out. Okay. He's just. Yeah. I guess it's. That's his I shtick. guess the idea is not whether he's doing it accurately; <laughs> it's whether or not he should be doing it. Mm. The, I guess it's fine. By I mean, it's fine. Mm. I mean, I, I I I'm one of those who still hasn't quite gotten to that point where actors should be the thing that they are portraying yeah. yet. But something about it when I first started, when I first saw that trailer, made me go. Ugh. Yeah. Something made me unsettled about it. Now. I will give it this credit, but I'm sure in the movie it'll be different because we're we're just watching a trailer here. At least it's not the one where it's like cock, cock, you yeah. know that type of yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, which is what uh, that last Predator movie did with one of the characters. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was Thomas Jane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who did it? And uh, and it's like uh, but I, we are in an era like the Peanut Butter Falcon has a character who has down syndrome mm-hmm. is played by an actor who has down syndrome mm-hmm. um uh, the writer that that movie by chloe Zhao that i really like um his sister is played by his real sister and mm. she's mentally disabled mm. and i just think we're in an age where it, if it can be done sure but again if you take ed norton out of that situation remember also writer director <laughs> does it get financing does yeah. it i mean it's got such a huge wide cast. distribution i'm I just think, saying sometimes I think, I think yeah i think with his name just being writer director would be enough probably yeah and with all the other names he's got surrounding it so like 
surely he could maybe find somebody maybe not as good as edward norton yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. maybe somebody who could still do the job very well and this is a book like that's been around for a while mm-hmm. no i didn't know that uh the real last name was mandrell yeah, it is judd is naomi's <laughs> given name okay just say mantra <laughs> that's funny because her her last name is judd mm-hmm. and naomi is the matriarch right yes and winona is the other I is guess. yeah which which one's patsy klein <laughs> how come patsy klein don't put out no more records <laughs>